I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... We know, certainly, that when women run, women win, and we want more women to actually be in elected office, but that that running for office is really, really tricky, and that's what we try to solve for. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, and today we speak with Betsy Fisher-Martin. She is the executive director of the Women in Politics Institute right here at American University in Washington, D.C. Before that, she was the executive producer of Meet the Press on NBC for almost 23 years. So she knows what she's talking about when it comes to political candidates, their exposure to media, and how to effectively present their message. And, as you might expect, there ain't enough women in this track. So she and I discuss how to fix that, what needs to be done, how to recruit, and how to promote the next generation of political leadership that hopefully will be more gender-blended. Here's our conversation. Betsy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. So walk our listeners through the creation of the Institute. Uh, what was your role in it, at, if, if any, or were you brought in to energize it? Sort of what's the lay of the land? Well, thank you. Yeah, so the Women in Politics uh, Institute at American University, we are housed in our School of Public Affairs. Yep. Uh, we are celebrating our 22nd year. Congratulations. So I actually went to American University as an undergrad, studied politics, graduated in 1992, and sadly there was no Women in Politics. Institute. Otherwise, I would have loved that. Yep. So fast forward, it was created by Karen O'Connor, who is still a, a terrific professor with us in the School of Public Affairs, 22 years ago. And uh, really, our mission is to close the gender gap in political leadership. And I have been lucky enough to be with the Institute for the past four or five years. And, you know, part of that, what we do is of course, it's an American university. We do academic courses for young women enrolled in our school of public affairs and studying government and politics. We do a lot of programming. We do research. And we also run an institute and a component of the institute, I should say, um, called the We Lead Campaign Training Program, where we actually put our money where our mouth is and train young women in the Washington, D.C., greater area to run for office. What are some of the challenges you faced in that training? Well, it's interesting because I think the real problem is that something that we in, in the Institute are trying to solve for and that we think that the, that the actual um, program helps with is this notion of kind of getting women over the line of like, I actually am going to pull the trigger and run. We know certainly that when women run, women win, and we want more women to actually be in elected office. But that that running for office is really, really tricky, and that's what we try to solve for uh, in the program. We try to give the women and the participants in the program, and it's a nonpartisan program, the skills so that they can have the confidence level to actually say, you know what, I'm going to actually put my name on the ballot. Because it's an intimidating process. Yeah. I think in many, many ways, and I think people in your audience can identify with this as women, we see the job of elected office. We see our council members, our members of Congress. 
even our, our president. And we think, you know what? We can do that. <laughs> and certainly. Maybe better. Not, exactly. If nothing has taught us over the last couple of years as well, right? Like, we got this. We can do the job. It's the actually running for the office that seems to be the most intimidating for women because it's a slog. Yeah. We know politics is a nasty business. Campaigns are tough. They're long. They're expensive. And it takes a lot for someone to say, put their self forward and say, I'm going to go through all of that. Yeah, if someone could just be appointed to elected office, that's the easy route, right? But actually running is hard. And so what we really try to do is take some of that toughness away and say, you know what, you can do it and here's how and here are the skills. I mean, just take the issue, for example, of fundraising. Right. You know, we all know how expensive campaigns are to run. And it's harder for women, we know, to actually ask for money. I mean, that's hard for anyone, honestly. And so we, for example, in the program, we spend an entire session on a campaign fundraising exercise, and we bring in top fundraisers, and we talk to the young women about, here's some of the skills that you need. Here's how to make the ask. Here's how to think about your network as Amy Klobuchar, you know, would say when she was running for president, I even called my ex-boyfriends, like, (laughs) (laughs) call your ex-boyfriends, right? Um, Establish that fundraising network so that you can ask effectively uh, for money to run your campaign. So societally, and forgive me for going here, but I'm going to anyway, it seems like men, I forget the name of the syndrome, uh, that don't have the skills think they do and just chase it. And women... (laughs) even though they have the skills, aren't completely ready to, or they, they don't feel that they measure up. Exactly. And the, and the, the delta seems like incre- like laughably huge between yes. capacity and skill set. Uh, is that part of the challenge that you, that you, that you're, you're faced, your students face? Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, you know, we've heard a lot about this with Sheryl Sandberg's book, right? You know, men apply for a job if they meet 60% of the requirements, but women have got to check a hundred percent of the boxes. Right. And so, I think applying for a job is very similar to thinking about running for office. You are applying for a job in yeah. many ways, and the hiring pool, right, is the voters. And so it is, it's a step beyond the qualifications because, as I mentioned, you know, those qualifications, I think women feel like we do possess those, but it's the actual qualifications and skill set, I should say, to actually make the run for elective office. Another thing I think sounds so quaint these days, but I I would argue that in the gender confusion or the gender, so the gray area, is that I've seen men run for office with absolutely no idea what their policies are going to be or what the policies should be in the position. And women arrive with actual opinions on what they would do if they got the job. (laughs) A 12-point plan. Right, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, you you wish you saw more of across the entire candidacy. Is that a feature of the training, or you sort of assume that when when, when women come to your program that they're going to have some of that same direction and skill set? A lot of the women that come into the program are working already in the realm of politics. So they're on the Hill, they're working in campaigns, they're working in a law firm or business, and, and, and they're in this area. So right there absorbing politics. So they have a pretty good foundation, I would say, of their own, you know, political thoughts. And the program is nonpartisan. So we don't work on developing particular policies. We don't advocate particular policies. But we do give the women the tools to think about, okay, how do you put those down? How do you, for example, we spend an entire session on the issue of communications, right? right? You have this terrific plan, you. but how do you communicate that to the voters? And so we work with them on thinking about how they can put that language together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, we also spend an entire session, uh, again, on like social media, right? The importance of that we know to get out your plan. How can they put their plan into a format that voters can identify with and have access to on a social media platform? And getting back to fundraising, yes. which is sadly is uh, an absolute core component of getting any traction in any election at any level these days. What are some maybe some heroes or heroines that you may present to your to your team, to your co- cohort members, women who have been able to raise big budgets or been very effective in budgets they've raised? Or do you not go there as far as folks they might try to emulate? Is that later in the course or how, how do you play that? Well, I mean, that's that's a great point, too, because what we do is we bring in and the, the, the um, practitioners and experts that we have come in to speak to the participants are at the top of their field. Yeah. And so, you know, being here in Washington is a particular blessing because we, we have access to so many of these top strategists and elected officials and candidates right here in our backyard. <laughs> and so they can come in and they are the ones that are working with the students. They are coming in, they're speaking on panel discussions, they're doing one-on-ones. And so we have, you know, for example, we can bring in a top fundraiser and she can, and by the way, we usually will just only have women. This is another thing. Of course. And be the instructors, right? Yeah. Because we want, like you're pointing out, that role modeling Uh, for these young women. And so we'll have a top fundraiser come in and give her thoughts on, you know, the best tips. We'll also have candidates. And by the way, we've had elected officials, which I think are important to talk about how they got to where they were. But we've also had former candidates come in who have not been successful. And I think that's a really important lesson, too, right? What were the lessons learned? What could you do differently this time around? What took you by surprise? What didn't you know before you started? And so we'll talk to women that have had that experience as well, which I think is important. Have you found any regionality in how the conversations go, i.e., if you're going to run for office in Texas versus uh, Montana versus here in the Middle Atlantic, or is that is it more general elements of, of, the, of the instruction? It's interesting because what I have found most of the young women grapple with, because they are here in Washington, and we know Washington is a very transient city, very few of them are from. Yeah. Washington and and they are wanting to run for office but they are usually wanting to go back home mm-hmm. to run for office. They're up here working on the hill or in politics, but their network, their roots, their family may be back in North Carolina for example. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what they grapple with and we get this question all the time and there's not one correct answer to this is I want to go back and run for office, but when do I do that? You know, I have my job up here in Washington. How important it is, is it for me to go home first? What do I do when I get back home Right. Um, to lay that foundation looking, you know, two to four years out? And so a lot of them are grappling just with that component of, you know, when's the right time? Mm-hmm. When do I pull that plug? When do I leave my nice job up here on the hill, get back home? start going to the Chamber of Commerce dinners and, mm-hmm. and all of that and establishing and reestablishing a, a base back in that home area. It's What's Working in Washington. We're talking with Betsy Fisher-Martin. Betsy is the executive director of the Women in Politics Institute right here at the American University just up the road from these studios. So, Betsy, you spent many, many years at the National Broadcasting Company, NBC, <laughs> with a, a wide variety of executive positions, especially at, at Meet the Press. So, your media management experience mm-hmm. low these many years ago, not that many, but but it's just changed so much. Oh, so yeah. it must be incredible for you to see what 
your cohort members and what they are expected to do in social and more interactive media. Walk us through how you've sort of seen that 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 job function uh, change over the years. Yeah, I mean, it has changed in, in so many ways. I mean, you know, not to sound like I came from the Stone Age here, but I mean, two years ago was the Stone Age. You know, this 24 7 constant social media, up to the minute, nuanced media landscape that we live in right now is very, very different. And it's, you know, it's harder for candidates to constantly be on. The news cycle never ends. There's, you know, more and more, everybody with a phone is now essentially a reporter to a candidate, right? Mm -hmm. They're taping everything you say. It's a very different environment. It's also much more partisan Mm -hmm. uh, environment. I mean, one of the things that I miss the most now, just, you know, looking back and reflecting on um, the 23 years that I was at Meet the Press is, you know, Especially early on, like in the when I first started in the in the 90s, for example, you know, the majority leader of the Senate and the minority leader of the Senate routinely would come on a show like Meet the Press Mm -hmm. and talk about legislation, talk about things that are going in the world together, sitting side by side, Mm -hmm. Bob Dole, George Mitchell, Trent Lott, Tom Daschle. Um, And that just does not exist in Mm -hmm. this media environment. Things are just too too partisan and people are too siloed. The notion of sides coming together and actually working toward a solution, especially in a media environment, is just very, very rare. Well, the proof of how that can change is strictly gender-based, in my opinion. If women <laughs> ran everything, there'd be more of that. It's Betsy. Here, here. <laughs> well, I, I, I believe it. Betsy Fisher-Morton Fisher is our guest today on What's Working in Washington, talking about partisanship, bipartisanship, and success out of the Women in Politics Institute at the American University, which she is the executive director of. More about those features and the future of partisanship and success in politics after this break. What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. Back on What's Working in Washington, I'm your host, Mark Walsh, and we're really excited to have with us in the studio again, Betsy Fisher-Martin. Betsy, 
is the executive director of the Women in Politics Institute at American University right here in Washington, D.C. She arrived at that gig after an extraordinary career in media, particularly at NBC, working for Meet the Press. And if I might go there just for a sec, we were going to talk about bipartisanship and partisanship, and we will in just a minute. But I I was thinking the other day about what crisis management means in a campaign these days. And I think, sadly, our the prior administration uh, with the grab him by the quote unquote on the bus and all that stuff, what would have killed a campaign deader than a doornail seemed to not be able to stick in how people behave. And I wonder if there's some gender, frankly, politeness that women are almost they're, they're I shouldn't say polite, but I mean, guys seem to be able to say anything they want today and the campaign rolls along Is there some challenges you're seeing in members of your cohort where they're like, wait a minute, I don't talk like that. And if I did, I'd be embarrassed about my campaign. Well, I I think you you raise a great point there. And this is something that research actually bears out. And we know this, that women do have a higher standard. They are held to a higher standard on many in, in business and, of course, in politics. And this goes for campaigning as well. We have the privilege of, of working at the Institute um, with the Barbara Lee Family Foundation as mm-hmm. one of our partners on a project that we call uh, Gender on the Ballot. And part of the research they, they do is on this, on this very topic. And they advise uh, women candidates about the, you know, the, the gender disparities that exist, unfortunately, in campaigns. And that is certainly one of them, that you know, women are, when they do have a misstep, they pay a much higher price for it uh, versus the examples that you gave, um, you know, now where it just kind of anything seems to go. I mean, you know, the examples that you mentioned, I mean, we, we look back, you know, on on things that tripped up campaigns 20 years ago. And it's just they, it seems very quaint now. When That's you like think a about, Tuesday exactly, for, for well, anybody. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it thought that has changed um, certainly in many ways, but women are still, unfortunately, kind of held to that higher standard of, you know, if there is a messed up, you know, it's some, a lot of times it's game over. Well, also fact-checking. Yes. When you were at Meet the Press, clearly your old boss, Tim Russert, was, in my opinion, legendary at fact-checking guests, sometimes in real time. Right. And I thought that was one of the greatest appeals of the show was that people couldn't get away with saying something that was just factually incorrect and it seems like that's gone by the wayside. I just, whatever show, and, and I mean no disrespect to your former employer, but I think even at the highest level, Meet the Press and others, they let people say, come on, candidates or incumbents, come on and say anything that'll promote their own personal brand. Um, is there a future where that, that's going to get, get kind of return to the old <laughs> days, or should I just stop being the old cranky person talking about well, that? Well, I mean, I, I, I can join your party on this, I think, a little bit, but... You know, I I think one of the things that, you know, Tim Russert certainly was known for was being tough but fair. Yeah. He was also known for immense preparation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when I started um, at Meet the Press, I was actually an intern uh, at American University. And then I got hired as the researcher for the show. Wow. And this was pre-Google. And so mm-hmm. I, this was great job security for me. This is how I ascended into being the executive producer one day, right? Is that I was the Google yeah. <laughs> in a show based on research. I clipped the articles, kept the files, wrote the memos, Sweet. did all that stuff. And yeah, so yeah. it was great for me, right? But I mean, Tim would spend, you know, an entire, you know, four, five, six days prepping an interview for that show. Um, it's 
and we would, you know, speaking of the news cycle, we would have a pretty good idea on maybe a Tuesday of that week what was going to be a really great show for that Sunday because the news didn't move as much. And so as a consequence, we could really book a show on a Monday or Tuesday or even a Wednesday, and then we would have a solid two, three, four, five days to dive into that prep. (laughs) You know, we would, you know, make these massive briefing books and, you know, work on the graphics and the – and that's a lot of homework. To do a 42-minute interview, we would also have a candidate on for 42 minutes, right? That doesn't exist anymore. And we would have time to put into that interview. These days and all of the shows, really, the news cycle moves so quickly that it's very difficult on a Monday or Tuesday to figure out, like, what makes sense to do on a Sunday. And so, as a consequence, they are usually booking those shows on a Thursday or Friday, which, oh, by the way, (laughs) gives you one day Mm -hmm. to do all that research. And that's very difficult to do. And so, I think that makes a big difference. Well, one of the things, is, as you mentioned uh, at the Institute, and once again, we're talking with Betsy Fisher-Martin. She's the executive director of the Institute and uh, the Women in Politics Institute, rather, I should say, at American University, is you have a newsletter that sort of curates. You're like the new Google exactly. for female <laughs> candidates or those interested in, in running. To walk us through that newsletter. Well, it's interesting. And, you know, you, you all know this and your audience will know this. And when you, when you are looking for something that doesn't exist, the best solution is to make it yourself. Yeah, and right. so that's what I did with this newsletter is – I was always, just as a news consumer and somebody interested in women in politics, obviously looking for news about women in politics because I like to read about the campaigns and see which women are are winning and running and what they're doing. And that just didn't exist. And so we created something we call the We Lead Reader. Um, That is a curated um, newsletter that goes out via email on Saturday morning that we have several grad students working on throughout the week. Um, where they are just looking for news about women in politics. And um, they create, you know, little blurbs about what's going on. You'll have the link to the actual article in case you want to know more. But it really allows people a sense to see how women are running in local districts, in small towns, uh, across America, and then to see some of the bigger news, research about women in politics, uh, women leaders in Congress, what they're doing, Um, you know, I <laughs> I can't stand going on a website and seeing scrolling through and seeing pictures of, you know, nine men on a, a political website when <laughs> we know there's 27 percent of women in Congress. Where are they? Where are they making the news? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't really get into the headlines. And so we, what we do with the newsletter is we go and find articles about what they're doing and we put that all in one place. Is that available only to the members of your cohort or can people available sign up? Available to anybody for free. How um, do they we get have it? a link on our website. If you go to our website, Women and Politics uh, Institute at American University, it's called the We Lead Reader and you can uh, subscribe. It's sent out via MailChimp on uh, Saturday morning. MailChimp. What do we yes, do before MailChimp? I know, right? right? We have about 10,000 subscribers who read really? it every week. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a re- that's readership uh, to be proud <laughs> exactly. of. Exactly. So partisanship. Yes. Um, have you seen any, it's an unfair question, uh, signal alert, uh, spoiler alert. Have you seen any difference in members of your cohort, uh, women who decide, who, who arrive as Republican and decide to run as Republican versus progressive and Democrat? I mean, I think with the issue of partisanship, um, you know, we, I think, find ourselves in these silos. I think there is a path. And certainly, you know, I, I think you have seen women kind of maybe over time change their political views, realize in a space maybe that a political party isn't what they thought it was or doesn't 
doesn't have room for them anymore. We've seen women switch, you know, parties because of that. But I think what we are trying to focus on in the Institute is sort of that nonpartisan women uh, solution oriented component of things. And I do think in our environment, it's very difficult. We know women for sure are better at coming together, finding solutions, getting things done. And sometimes in this political climate, that isn't valued as much on a campaign, especially in a primary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all know this because of, of redistricting and gerrymandering and whatnot. Most candidates for office are having to for their reelection, most you know sitting members are having to worry about their reelection, not from a general election, but from a primary. Yes. And so, in the primary system, you have factors on the extremes of both sides, really holding against a candidate their uh, ability to uh, come together and have bipartisan solutions. And so, what happens? It's like a self fulfilling problem is that you end up having in office electing people who do not want to compromise and who are stand their ground on the far side of an issue. Well, this uh, we discussed Nancy Jacobson and no labels. And of course, I'm on the board of the Bipartisan Policy Center. This idea of trying to address what primaries mean to America is an ongoing conversation. There's no solution yet. Absolutely. But what you're doing is going to help, I I would argue, and and much more. So um, before we get to our final uh, tough (laughs) question, are there Icons you've invited to your institute at American University that you set with you in your own mind say they had an amazing impact on a given cohort. Is it the Olympia Snows of the world? Is it others? Who who's come in and really nailed it? Well, um, I would say we were actually proud to have as one of the alums of the program, uh, Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. Ah, uh, New who, Leaders Council graduate it, yes, as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, she was sort of doing it all right and. She went through the program in 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, This was unfortunately before my time, so I didn't meet her as a student. But, of course, now she's been elected to Congress. Um, She became the youngest um, uh, black woman elected to Congress and uh, had just been an incredible role model for young women and very nicely came back to the Institute um, to pre, pre-COVID, everything is pre-COVID and post-COVID in exactly. our life now, pre-COVID at our last graduation ceremony that we had uh, pre-COVID and spoke to the graduates Fabulous. of the program. And we were incredibly grateful for that. But she is certainly an incredible and, role model. An amazing leader. And I'm glad yes. you mentioned her. So here's our final question. Yes. And once again, we're joined by Betsy Fisher-Martin. She's the executive director of Women in Politics Institute at American University. If you ran the world for some period of time, is there something you would start happening or something you might stop happening, or somewhere in between, or both? Well, if I ran the world with like a magic wand and could look at the United States, um, I would like to see um, on that placemat that I had as a kid at my dining room table with all of the president's faces around it, of all men, I would like to see a woman on that placemat one day. Here, here. (laughs) That, that, you got me. You made me speechless because I completely agree. So let's once again remind you, with the listener, that Betsy Fisher-Martin is our guest today. She and I were discussing all the things she's doing as the executive director in the Women in Politics Institute at American University. Betsy, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Mark. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.